Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states, FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. Dial 1-888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Dial 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Dial 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Dial 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit www m-a-h-e-l-p-l-i-n-e dot org slash problem gambling. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Dial 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Alright, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. We are live on AMP. 
don't forget if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We are going to go through five big questions, primarily focusing on the Eastern Conference, at least here at the beginning, with our guy Carson going to get into a bunch of good basketball stuff. You guys know the drill before you get before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. On that note, let's talk some basketball with Mr. Carson. How's it going, man? It's good to see you. I am great, Jason. Good to see you too. And this is the best time of the year, isn't it? Or we're getting there. You can you can smell the playoffs in the air, I feel. And as we get to this time of year, obviously in the East, as you mentioned, where we're going to be focused at the start here, there are three clear front runners, and there have been for most of the year now. Milwaukee, Boston, Philly. Who do you think is under the most pressure? to win the conference, win the title this year out of that group, Jason? Well, first of all, I think it's super interesting that you said that you could smell it in the air because, like, I'm straight up seeing some real playoff-level intensity in a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. I think, in general, the desperation is really starting to show through. We wake up this morning in the Western Conference with a four-way tie for eighth. That's going to get uh, shaken out here over the course of the next week or so. Uh, the Lakers have a chance to get back to 500. So everyone's just scratching and clawing, and it just feels like playoff basketball, and I'm excited about it. So, you know, it's funny. With this particular question, I immediately started to look at the teams at the top, right? I'm looking at Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly. And the main reason why is, like, there is no pressure if you don't have a real chance to win a title. That, to me, is silly. And even for the teams that are pretty close to the top, like Cleveland in particular – they are. This is their first year with this core. They're not going to be upset as a massive underdog if they lose in the second round. You know, um, same thing goes with New York. You know, Jalen Brunson. That experiment has been a resounding success, and it's not going to be the end of the world if they don't win. I think the one lower level team that might have to take a deep look in the mirror if they suffer an early exit would be Miami, um, just mm. because there's some severe talent deficiencies there. But among the top teams, you know, I was really looking at just their stability in the coming years. And Boston's payroll is completely locked up. Really, the one guy they've got to work on this summer is Grant Williams. Um, If you look at Milwaukee, you know, Brooke Lopez is going to be a free agent, but I think they're going to figure that out. Joe Ingles is going to be uh, be a free agent. My guess is he comes back. Those fits are just too natural. And I think both of those guys succeed better in Milwaukee than they would elsewhere just because of the way their systems are put together. Everything to me comes back to Philly and like, look, they're pretty well put together uh, from a roster standpoint going into next season, but there's this James Harden piece and he could theoretically be an unrestricted free agent this summer. There's been Intel that he might want to go back to Houston. And from what I've heard, there's, it's not just like, you know, a superficial reasons. There might be some real reasons for him to want to go back there. That doesn't mean he's going to, we don't know, but the reality is, is like, there is a lot of pressure on this particular team. I was talking with Sam Bassini on Tuesday and we ranked Philly as the most talented roster out of the MVP candidates. They have a ton of offensive skill. Their spot up shooting is the best in the league right now, which is a big deal next to guys like James Harden and Joel Embiid. This is 
undeniably the apex of Joel Embiid's career. He's playing better basketball than he's ever played. James Harden is having an excellent season, kind of like we thought he would. And so if, for whatever reason, they flame out quickly, specifically under a disappointing performance from someone like James Harden in, in particular, I think you could see this team go in a different direction this offseason. And so from that standpoint, there is legit pressure. I think a key thing to watch over the course of the last couple of weeks is them getting the two seed. Um, if they get the two seed, not only will they likely have to avoid Miami in the first round, but also it puts them in a situation where um, they would have home court advantage in that second round series against Boston, which I think would be really important. What do you think, man? Well, I like that angle a lot because I think that you're absolutely right. If you're talking about the broader scope of where are these teams going, without a doubt, there is the most uncertainty in Philly and therefore real pressure. And also, if you look at it from a legacy perspective, I think that already Joel Embiid and James Harden in a vacuum are up there for the best players to never be the guy on a team to go to the finals. Obviously, Harden... Uh, went there with OKC, but that was not a team that was led by him. And Embiid is only in year seven, but this is a guy who's back-to-back MVP runner-up and is now going to be right in that conversation again. Daryl Morey, one of the best GMs to never actually go out there and win a title. Doc Rivers, obviously, much maligned despite all of his career success because it's been 15 years since that title, and he's had a lot of playoff letdowns and disappointments. So I agree with a lot of what you've said. I kind of feel like, though, in a vacuum for this year, it is Boston. Just because last year we looked at them, they were the best team in the league down the stretch of the regular season. They seemed to be the more talented team going into the finals. They lost. They got better this year. They improved the roster, adding your Malcolm Brogdons of the world. Derek White got significantly better. Jason Tatum got better. And they have been from the very jump this season the favorite and now they've started to let things slip a little bit but I do feel that there is a lot of pressure there we have now some of the dialogue from Jalen Brown about hey I want to be where I'm wanted like who knows where things will go from here Michael Jordan retired a wizard saying stuff like that so although there is definitely more certainty there it does still feel like this is a group that really wants to prove that they can win it all Because last year was a great chance. This year it's going to be tougher to do it, but they're better. And I just feel that the consistency with which they have been at the forefront of that conversation, Boston's a favorite, Boston's a favorite, there is definitely a ton of expectation to live up to there. A ton of pressure. Tatum wasn't good in the finals last year. I I feel like you could argue either of those two, but I lean in a vacuum this season, Boston. That's super interesting, and you're kind of swaying me a little bit, Carson. Um, Let's go. The the <laughs> Philly, there's undoubtedly pressure on Philly. There's the James Harden element. I didn't even think about the Doc Rivers element. That's an important part. If they flame out, you have to think that they're going to move off of Doc Rivers. The thing that would be interesting with Boston is, would you agree with me that I, with my opinion that Boston from top to bottom in terms of top-end talent to different types of player versatility to depth, that Boston has the most talent in the league. Would you agree with that? Yeah, unequivocally. At well, least Milwaukee's close, close right? but I agree. I, I think they're the most yeah. talented, yeah. They're, uh, they're at least um, among the most talented tier of teams in the league. So what would be really interesting is if they lost ugly, like in round two against Philly. 
would you start to look at it as a situation with team construction in the lack of high level playmaking? And I mean, I mean, real high level playmaking, not like, Mm -hmm. oh, we've got not aggregate playmaking from what Tatum can do some nights with what Mark uh, Marcus Smart can do some nights and with what Derek White can do some nights and with what Malcolm Brogdon can do some nights. I mean, top tier playmaking, because if we go back through NBA history, it's like 2022, I got Steph Curry, who his combination of on ball and off ball playmaking is, I would argue, top tier. Um, I've always jokingly, when I would say those top four playmakers and I'd say Luka and Jokic and LeBron and Chris Paul, I'd always kind of throw Steph in as the honorary fifth because of his off ball gravity, you know? And then I go back to 2021 and Giannis is a much better playmaker than Tatum or Brown. And I think that was Mm -hmm. a sneaky kind of storyline of his development has been everyone looking at the shot, but really it was his passing ability that kind of turned things around for him. You know, I go back to 2020 and it's LeBron freaking James, you know? 2019 is a little weird, but it's Kyle Lowry, and he's a better playmaker than anybody on this Boston roster. 18, 17, I've got the Warriors. 16, I've got LeBron. Uh, 15, I've got the Warriors. 14, I've got that that Spurs machine. 13, 12, I've got LeBron. You have to go back all the way to 2011 to find a team, and even then, it's like Jason Kidd was the guy that was Mm -hmm. running that offense. And so I think there would be an interesting discussion to have if Boston flamed out early about whether or not they would need to look to flip uh, either Jalen or Jason for a higher level playmaker, simply from the standpoint of the fact that that might be the only way they could reach that championship ceiling. This Boston team effectively is the point guard by committee type team. And it's just a question of, it's just a question of whether or not you can win like that. What do you think? Well, I think it's a very interesting question and I was skeptical of the Tatum Brown pairing for that fundamental reason. Like if you go back, to two years ago when they were a 500 team, right? And then the start of last year where they were 500 a quarter of the way through the season, my fundamental belief was you have to be, if you're going to be a great offense led by two wings, like in that Clippers model that we had seen work, right? Kawhi PG, both very good positional playmakers with like historically great shooting around them. And I was like, Jalen Brown is not that level of a playmaker. Tatum, at that point, I was like, I'm not sure he's at that level as a playmaker. And even Kawhi and PG, we've talked about some of their offensive structural issues in the past. It can still get weird. I always definitely valued that great playmaking presence. Now, it's tough to sit here and say, all right, well, they just got to the finals. They were on the verge. And this year, they've been up there for the best offense in the league. And they do have several good playmakers, right? They just don't have that one leading force. And they do maintain such a defensive edge by keep edge by keeping that wing tandem together and such a shot making edge. I think that what they're doing is they're trying to establish a new archetype. They're trying to show us that you can have a team that is led by two great wings who are good enough at the playmaking and you can sort of not subjugate that lead guard playmaking role, but make it secondary and just get those solid supporting pieces there. So I do think that this team is good enough, but yeah, if they fail in catastrophic fashion and if it's because man, Tatum and Brown are making bad decisions and they're struggling with the difficult shot making. I could see that being a look in the mirror kind of moment, but I honestly do feel that this Boston team is good enough. They're not my favorite this year. I do think that Milwaukee is the best. And part of that is a faith in Giannis over Tatum thing. Cause I do think that Boston top to bottom has a better roster, but it's a very interesting question. It's one that I've thought about for this team for, for years. I have a, I have one last follow-up before we move on. Miami 
experiences a disappointing flame out. Boston experiences a disappointing flame out. Mm. And Brad Stevens calls up Pat Riley and offers Jalen Brown for Jimmy Butler. Who says no? I think Boston says no because of age, fundamentally. I think that Jimmy's better, but I think that you'll take your eight years of prime Jalen if you can retain him over, well, not maybe not eight, but, you know, six or whatever versus, like, who knows how many of Jimmy? Two? Things are changing, I, right? Medicine is insane now. Guys play until they're 38, LeBron. But I would, I would think that Boston would say no to that. What do you think? I agree, um, but that would be an example of like a win-now type of trade for a player that I think immediately makes them a significantly larger championship mm. threat because Jimmy kind of addresses two specific needs, the toughness piece and that shot mm -hmm. creation piece from that like big playmaker. Again, that's just fantasy basketball. That'll never happen, but it was just, it was just kind of an example of what I was looking at, but we can move on now. Yeah, no, that is an interesting thought, and trust me, I love Jimmy. And by the way, I think Miami will have a disappointing flameout. I don't think <laughs> Miami's they're not winning a playoff series in this East. But it's interesting that you mention them because, again, we have been so focused on that tier of the top three teams. Who outside of that group of Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly do you think actually has the best chance to win the East, Jason? So I think you're going to disagree with me here based on what you just said, but I, I considered three Ooh. different teams here and there's a bunch of different, there's a bunch of different elements that break down here. Cause a lot of it has to do with matchups. Like a lot is going to come down to who finishes in that two, three race between Boston and Philly. But the three teams that I considered beneath that top tier in the East that actually have a chance. I, I looked at the Cavs, the Knicks and the heat. And so what I tried to do to try to minimize any sort of subjectivity from it, or at least minimize some of the subjectivity, is I broke it down into some categories that I find super important for championship runs. And I looked at half-court shot creation, half-court play finishing, rim protection, perimeter defense, physical strength, versatility of play style, and superstars. And so when I looked at half-court shot creation, I actually gave a slight nod to the Knicks, I have come around so much on Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson as a duo. Mm -hmm. I think they represent a super complimentary duo in the sense that Jalen Brunson is that like high pick and roll ISO guy. And then that, that has some of the higher level playmaking. And then Julius Randle's like that big matchup attacking forward that like when things break down, he could just bully his way to 10 feet and take a little 12 to 13 foot fadeaway. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I would argue Jimmy's the best overall player, the two of those two guys together, I think, make better half-court shot creation. Half-court play finishing, I actually gave it to the Heat. They're just a way better perimeter shooting team uh, than the Knicks and the Cavs. In rim protection, I went with the Cavs. In perimeter defense, I went with the Knicks. I've been super impressed with the Knicks guards as of late. With physical strength, though, I went to the Heat. I think they're just a little bit more stout in that front line. And they're, some of their guards, like guys like Max Struess and Kyle Lowry, are super broad, low center of gravity guys that can hold up in physical confrontations. Versatility of play style. With Miami, they can run drop coverage. They can run switching schemes. They're um, extremely smart tactically on both ends of the floor. 
Um, so I put them number one there. And then for superstars, undoubtedly among that group, I would trust Jimmy Butler more than any of mm-hmm. those uh, other players on the other teams. And so I tallied them up. If you finished first on that list, I gave you three points. If you finished second on that list, I gave you two points. And if you finished third, I gave you one point. In the final tally, I had 17 for the Heat, 14 for the Knicks, and 11 for the Cavs. So like, I actually think out of that group, based on the things that I value the most about playoff basketball, that I still think the Heat are the biggest threat to anybody. But a lot of it comes down to matchups. Like, I think I'd mm-hmm. give them a puncher's chance if my, if Boston slips down to three. I'd give them a puncher's chance to beat Boston just because there's a mental advantage there. They've beat them twice again this year. They almost beat them in the playoffs last year. But if they end up facing off with Philly – I don't like that matchup as much um, uh, just because, especially with the way that they're going to have to crowd Embiid with their physical disadvantages and how good Philly is shooting off the ball. Well, I think I like how you went about this. I mean, it's very interesting to have the precise calculation there. The one factor, (laughs) though, that I think is missing from that is that Miami is going to have to play Boston or Philly probably in the first round and Cleveland and New York can kind of go at each other. And bottom line, I'm not confident in any of these teams beating any of the three big dogs. Like, I do think that there's a clear drop-off. If I were to pick one, though, I think it might be New York. And I'm tempted to say Cleveland. I know that you're not a big Cleveland guy in the scope of contention. What I do like about them is I think they have the combination, potentially, of dominant interior defense and, therefore, dominant defense overall like as much as they may struggle at the point of attack they've been the best defense in the league or top two for basically the majority of this season because they have an interior tandem like nobody else in the league and Mobley is an absolute monster with his versatility too and dynamic perimeter shot making because who do you trust more if you're talking about below that true superstar tier to carry you through a playoff series or multiple playoff series than Donovan Mitchell he's one of the most prolific playoff scorers of all time and there's just such a dynamism of off-the-dribble shot-making, attacking the rim. And then to have Darius Garland as your second guy, that to me is like a really impressive, hey, if we can, it's like they're more talented and the East was horrible at this time, but it's sort of like if you think about like an AI formula, right? Dominant interior defense, one guy, except they even have a second star-level guy in Darius Garland. The problem is they suck on the wings and their depth sucks. (laughs) And I think that that just knocks them down a bit to me to where... I agree with you. I really, really like the star tandem from New York right now. And who knows, right? Julius Randle has basically been defined by what level is he going to be as a jump shooter. He was all NBA because he was making his mid-range pull-ups. He was shooting well from deep. Then everybody decided he sucked because he was missing those shots. And guess what? He kind of did suck last year. Then at the start of this year, he was missing those shots. And then for the last six weeks or whatever, he's been blazing. And so... I don't know how much I can trust that, but yeah, if he's dialed in, I love Jalen Brunson point blank. I trust him at all times. I think that the wing combinations that they get from your Josh Hart's, your Quentin Grimes, that is better than what you're seeing from Cleveland, certainly. And they're a good defensive team overall, IQ. I just think they have more basketball players who I trust. And because they have that legit star tandem too, because I do see a relatively high two-way ceiling, it's like... If Brunson and Randall are both putting up their 28 a night, which, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but they did it for a month, right? Like, we just saw it pretty much. They would be probably the scariest to me because Cleveland's depth and wing play is just too lacking. 
Dude, Josh Hart has been such an interesting swing piece. He's so, he's so <laughs> good at so many little basketball things that he just immediately oh makes God. teams better. Really quickly before you move on, Miami is 7-3 in their last 10, fourth in offense. Jimmy Butler, 27-7-6 on 59-47-86 splits with 2.1 stocks. Kyle Lowry's been back, and he just brings that little bit of playmaking um, out of high pick and roll to get the get the shooters the shots they need in the spots that they like. That was a big part of how they beat New York was his late-game playmaking uh, the other night. Mm-hmm. And I do worry a little bit about their closing lineup. Um, Kyle Lowry and Tyler Harrow, Jimmy and Bam, that fifth guy. They've been doing a lot of Caleb Martin, but I wonder in the playoffs in the late, like if, if that's going to be big enough. I think they might have to go with someone like Struess, who's just a little bit more stout. Um, so I, I worry about them in some specific matchups, but they're they're definitely coming on at the right time, and and I do think there's yeah. a certain amount of, uh, of fear there. I do think that there's certainly some validity to that, right? Like Jimmy is the guy who you have to trust the most. I, I love Donovan Mitchell, but Jimmy's all around impact. Like we've seen it, right? He's gotten a team to the finals where he was incredible, and he's gotten a team to the brink of the finals again last year. And the shooting ceiling is there. They're good defensively. I have just been so dissuaded by the persistent offensive lulls that we've seen. I mean, they're still 25th in offensive rating or something. Like, I know that if Jimmy goes supernova, he can get them there. But just with Lowry's regression, Bam's had a very good season. But he still is not an ideal, like, guy to lean on offensively. Hero has his inconsistencies. And their depth is fine. But it's not something that I love. And so... Because of that, I'm I'm just a little bit out on Miami. I also just don't really enjoy watching them, and maybe there's a bit of a bias there. But I'm like, hey, neither does again. our friend Ryan. Every other year. Yeah, I mean, every other year. Oh, yeah, he certainly does not. He's got an anti-Jimmy Butler agenda. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, 
Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something I've always been a big believer in. When you try to take projects on yourself, you usually don't know what you're doing. You usually end up making mistakes, and it can be a big headache. And so not only can a professional from Angie get the job done more efficiently, but they also are people that you can support within your community as local businesses. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Consider Angie your hub for all your home improvement needs. They can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that will tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. And the app is free and easy to use. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. The NBA season is coming down to the wire and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. My favorite bet for tonight is the Golden State Warriors at home against the Philadelphia 76ers. You can get them right now at minus five and a half. They're at home. They're the more desperate team. And I think they present some interesting matchup issues for Philly. A game I'm very excited for. I would be on Golden State minus 5.5. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. When you go to FanDuel.com slash Jason T. That's FanDuel.com slash Jason T to learn more. And FanDuel is now live in Massachusetts. Download the app now and take advantage of their great special offers, boosts, and more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Let's pivot out west here and talk about a team that has consistently been towards the top of the standings, but I think that a lot of people, you and I both included, have had some serious questions about in terms of legitimate contention, and that is the Memphis Grizzlies. Jason, if and when Jaw returns... What's their realistic title chance? I I don't necessarily think that there is much of a chance there. I, I look yeah. at it pretty simply. Teams are going to pack the paint on them like crazy. Without Brandon Clark, I think you're going to see a lot of Xavier Tillman and, uh, and Steven Adams if he can get healthy in time in the postseason. These are the only teams in the league worse at converting spot-up opportunities than Memphis. Detroit, Orlando, Houston, Charlotte, and Atlanta. That's it. They are one of the worst spacing teams in the league. And so from that standpoint, I just keep thinking so much is going to come down to John Morant and his ability to knock down perimeter jump shots. And he just this season, especially off the dribble, has not been very accurate. He's only shooting about 30% on pull-up threes this year. And so I don't – and I've talked this to death. I swear I've made the same rant like three times in the last week, so I don't want to go too much further into it. But I just don't think they have the requisite amount of offensive skill. But I did want to take this Mm -hmm. as an opportunity to present you with the question, Carson, one that I briefly floated with you over text message the other day. Um, But I wanted to kind of dive into it a little bit deeper on the show. So I think that unquestionably right now, Jaw is a better player than than Jaron Jackson. But I also think that Jaron Jackson is unquestionably the most important player to Memphis, particularly as it pertains mm. to their floor. And I think you see that in the on-off numbers. They're only about five points better. 
when Ja is on versus off, but they are 11 points better per 100 possessions when Jaron Jackson is on versus when he's off. It, basically, the difference is, is they're an extremely average team when Jaron Jackson's off the floor, and they are an elite double-digit net rating team when Jaron Jackson is on the floor. And, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the LeBron-Anthony Davis dynamic where mm. there's no doubt LeBron's the better player. And especially in the late rounds of the playoffs in 2020, you saw that. But take Anthony Davis off that team, and they're so devoid of real front court versatility that the bottom falls out, usually. Now, mm -hmm. to LeBron's credit, because he's so damn good, he's floated that team around 500 without AD all season, but that's LeBron James, the second greatest player of all time. Like, But that dynamic is what the John Morant, Jaron Jackson thing reminds me of. Jaw's clearly the best player, but Jaron Jackson's that guy that is so important foundationally to what they do defensively that he's the hardest for them to replace. Now, I think right now... He's already one of the best defensive players in the league. And he's showing a lot of flashes offensively as a rim pressuring, like rip through a physically aggressive straight line drive forward. And he's flashing some of that perimeter shooting stuff. I think that if he can make some moderate improvements as a ball handler and was seeing the floor and can get to the point where he consistently can average about 25 points per game efficiently with what he can do defensively, I think he's capable of being an even better player than what John Morant is. And that's not that's not bad for Memphis. That's great for Memphis. Because if you can have yeah. two of those guys, that's excellent. Am I too high on Jaron Jackson? I think if you're talking about him being up in that 25 a game range, that's a little higher than I'm comfortable with. And I will say, he is a completely different player this year than he has been previously. Like last year, there were stretches where I would have said Jaron Jackson Jr. was an offensive negative because uh, he shot the ball very poorly. He was a playmaking zero. But most importantly, and this was my biggest issue with him, was he was soft, right? He was this 6'10", big, quite athletic guy who could handle the ball, and he was addicted to his floaters, and he wasn't good at them. Now I think you've seen him this year be consistently more aggressive, more physical. He's getting all the way downhill more, and he's making those floaters, those push shots. Like, in the paint outside the restricted area, he shoots better than 50%. That's a pretty elite mark, and he's hitting his threes. So my questions with his ceiling are more related to how much can you entrust him with offensive responsibility when, to me, he really does feel like, hey, Triple J, go attack this mismatch, right? And there's a lot of mismatches for him, but his playmaking is just not there. I mean, he's still under an assist a game as a guy who's putting up his 18 a night, and I sometimes, a lot of the times, guys grow into that skill set, right? The more they handle the ball, I just don't know how much Triple J is going to be entrusted with that because he's not a wing, right? He's a four who can get downhill because he handles the ball pretty well, and he's big and strong and athletic, and he has that touch finishing. So that's one of my concerns, and then the other one is just it really is get to the rim or knock down a three with him. I mean, he does have the floater game, right? But there's no, certainly no pull-up jump shooting uh, from that mid-range element, which I do just think if you're talking about 25-point-per-game scoring, elite scoring like that, it does help to have. I could see him getting to 20, 22. And at that point, there is an argument to be made because what I would say is Triple J is 
at that point, like an ideal number two, right? Because he's elite defensively and he's going to be efficient and pretty darn productive offensively. And he's not going to step on the toes really of your primary guy because he's going to get his stuff quickly. But there is still a value that a John Morant can bring, even with his at times efficiency issues and his defensive issues. Playoff career for Jaw, he's averaged 28 points, nine assists per game, solid efficiency, but you just feel it. In certain series, in certain games, it's like, man, he's the thing keeping them alive offensively because he just keeps coming at you. There's a physical imposition. There's a playmaking that feeds off of his rim pressuring. There's a relentlessness getting to the line, which is always good, valuable, efficient offense to have. And that is like a value that a Triple J just could never reach to me. You need your Jaw Morant. I guess is what I'm saying here. You need your perimeter driving force and their values are just very different. Triple J could be the ideal complimentary guy. Jaw could be a not top tier top guy, but a guy who can in a specific run take you pretty far, I think. So I don't think you're crazy for saying that Triple J could be the better guy in a couple years, but I'm not quite as high on him as you are. Well, and again, it's not one thing or the other. Like, it, ideally, you have mm-hmm. both. And I don't think – I think that right. – Again, my, my, I'm just saying I'm high on Jaron Jackson. And to mm-hmm. me, again, like, even if Jaron Jackson were to supersede John ja Morant in total basketball value, which I actually think it's a little closer now than people are willing to admit, mm-hmm. but even if he were to supersede him in overall basketball value, John ja Morant will always represent the ceiling. The same thing yeah. goes with LeBron James. Like, the truth of the matter is, is like, they can't do anything without Anthony Davis. He's so important to them as that foundational piece, but they are not hoisting the trophy in 2023 unless LeBron James goes on another vintage playoff perimeter initiation run. Like, that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. This year and in the future, nothing works unless John Morant can reach that same level offensively yep. as a perimeter initiator. But the reality is, is like, I've, I've talked a lot with Memphis this year. Don't think they can do it this year. Flat out, don't think it's even on the table. But I am a huge believer in this core moving forward. The The dynamic of that, like you called it the the uh, the Allen Iverson dynamic, but that, that John Morant with the outstanding interior defense, with that Dylan Brooks, the guy you could throw at the other team's best player. If you bring in the requisite amount of offensive skill to supplement those guys in the rotation, I think that they can absolutely win an NBA championship. This is not like, I actually think, excuse me. I actually think Cleveland has some significant limitations. They don't have, um, they don't have that same level of like physical girth, you know, in terms of like just their ability to hold up in the super physicality environments. Mm. Um, I'm actually a little higher on Memphis long-term, even though I think Cleveland's better now. And so, again, mm. it's more just – to me, it's just a, a point of optimism. I, I am super high on Jaron Jackson, and I think it puts him in a good spot moving forward. I love how you put it. That was exactly what I was trying to say. Triple J can be the more valuable, better overall player. Jaw will always represent the ceiling. They will always need that offensive engine to even get in the door. But, yeah, Triple J could do some special stuff. I mean, it's like you said, he's already up there for the best defensive player in the league. and. I agree with you about Memphis's issues. Not a good enough half-court offensive team. Not skilled enough offensively. I, I love Desmond Bain. He's a step in the right direction. It's still not quite enough with their spot-up issues. And Jaw also hasn't been good enough this year when he's been out there. Uh, just point blank. His pull-up jump shooting hasn't been good enough. He hasn't been efficient enough, and they need him to be great. So mm-hmm. 
let's talk now about another story that has sort of gripped the NBA, and it's not the first time that it's happened, but Mario Chalmers came out and said on a podcast, as former NBA role players love to do, talking about <laughs> NBA greats, and said that people don't fear LeBron. And we've always heard this, right? People don't fear LeBron. No Chill Gill came out and said, you know, you're not scared of a guy who's going to give you 29, 9, and 9. I probably would be, but <laughs> why is there this narrative, Jason, that players don't fear LeBron? What's your take on it? Uh, Carson, can you do me a favor while 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 I'm ranting in in an infuriating yeah. <laughs> fashion? Can you look up for me how many times LeBron James scored 40-plus in the 2018 playoffs? If I remember sure. correctly, it was eight. <laughs> So, okay, this, this I'm so glad we're finally getting around to this. This has been irritating me for about a week, but we just haven't had an opportunity just because of how crazy the basketball has been all the time. So here's where I'm at. I think people have, and maybe it's just time. I don't know what it is. But for some reason, I think people are forgetting just how dominant LeBron James's playoff resume is. It's not the same as MJ's, but... It's pretty damn dominant, certainly within this era. He has four championships. The only players that are comparable are the Warriors' core, and they did it when they added Kevin Durant to the team, and they haven't been nearly as successful without him. He has four finals MVPs. The closest is Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard with two. He has 10 conference titles. The closest is the Warriors' core with six. Here is a list of players that LeBron James has beaten four times out of seven in a playoff series. Paul Pierce, three times. Kevin Garnett, three times. MVP Derrick Rose. Carmelo Anthony. Paul George, four times. Kevin Durant. James Harden, twice. Russell Westbrook, twice. Tim Duncan. Steph Curry. Jason Tatum. Damian Lillard. Nikola Jokic. Jimmy Butler. He may not be the same level of dominance that MJ had in the 90s, and that certainly is a differentiating factor for me right now between those two guys. But LeBron James within this era has unquestionably been a dominant player. There is not a player that has impacted winning for as long or as frequently as LeBron James has, and it's not close. Even Steph Curry, who's the closest to him, there is a chasm between LeBron James and Steph Curry. You could take half of LeBron James' career resume, and it matches what Steph has accomplished in his career. I can absolutely guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt that when a team prepares to face LeBron James in a playoff series over the last 15 years or whatever, that there has been more than the appropriate amount of fear. And what, uh, fear and respect for what he's capable of in that series. If you go into a series with a LeBron James team feeling like you have a chance to win, it's because you like some matchup somewhere else on the roster where you've got a good chance, not because you expect to outplay LeBron James. That has never, ever been the case. And it's the same type of appropriate fear that existed for MJ. Look, I, I still have Michael Jordan as my, my greatest of all time. And I think LeBron James needs to do more to surpass him. But the reality is, is it's getting closer and closer. And right now, it is very close. And the closer it gets, the more people have to go away from real basketball arguments and start relying mm -hmm. on these completely meaningless platitudes like random abstract concepts like fear. And, and, the, mm -hmm. and this fear thing is just the latest example of that. I think I agree with a lot of what you've said. I do think there's a dynamic of this that is, it's about archetypes. 
people, when they talk about fear, they, I think, favor a couple things. Part of which is like the just bloodthirstiness, the deranged and obvious competitiveness that you get from a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant, right? I think people romanticize that. It doesn't have to do with how great you are as a basketball player when LeBron James is still absurdly competitive and is never going to shy away from the moment. But there is just that romantic the romanticization of this guy is going to come right at me. He's going to come at my throat. He's going to isolate, right? And I also think that there is a a skill bias with all of this where people talk about being so scared of a Jordan, of a Kobe because of difficult shot making, because of, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take you to the post. I'm going to pivot six times. I'm going to pull out a crazy spin. And I'm going to nail this shot right in your face. And it's relentless, right? And I just think that people revere that. But oftentimes, basketball is about making the right play. It's about creating your high probability looks, getting downhill for a layup, creating an open three for a teammate. And who has ever done that better in the scoring playmaking combination than LeBron? Nobody, in my opinion. So, it's not about actual basketball. You're right, because even if it is about, well, he's not going to come right at you and you know drop 40 on you. As you said, it was eight times in the 2018 playoffs. Well done. He is <laughs> undeniably one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen. And by the way, I don't know, I'd be pretty scared of a 260-pound freight train coming at me and over and over again. You think Steph in the, in the 2018 finals game one was like, ah, oh, LeBron, he's going to try me again? Yeah. yeah, we'll see how this goes. Like, it's an absurd, absurd thing, and uh, it's the same thing where, like, for 15 years, it's been a topic of, is LeBron wrong for passing the ball to the open guy on the last possession? People have an idea of what makes a great basketball player in their mind, and I think a lot of it is because Michael Jordan was the dream. He was perfection, and so it was like, whoever can get closest to Mike is the dream, therefore. But it's not necessarily true. Like, LeBron is effectively equally great, just in a different way. You know, it's interesting because even if we try to define this abstract concept of fear, like if you asked me to try to explain the impact that fear could have on a basketball game, the best thing mm -hmm. that I could do to describe it is having your opponent play below their capability simply because they lack confidence in their ability to beat you. And I have literally seen that happen dozens of times in LeBron James's career. <laughs> like I go mm -hmm. back and and I look at I literally watched LeBron James in 2020 after Kawhi Leonard, one of the very archetypes of players that you described as the type of person that we naturally associate with this type of fear, failed to put the Denver Nuggets away. I watched LeBron James do it with what Kawhi is best at, pull-up jump shooting. Mm -hmm. Earlier in that playoff run, I watched him deliberately target Russell Westbrook in athleticism plays. He, I, LeBron has hardly hunted chase down blocks in the last half decade. He had like four of them against Russell Westbrook just to prove a point. That like, hey, you're the most freaky athlete of your generation. I'm older than you and I'm still more athletic than you. You know? I go back to... I go back to 2018 and I watch a Toronto's a Toronto Raptors team that had won what 59 games that was favored to win the series and I watched LeBron 
suck the life out of them in two games in Toronto on their way to the sweep. They vastly underperformed their potential because they they simply did not believe they could beat him, even though they had a better team. That is that same type of fear. I go back to 2015 and 2016 when LeBron beat the Warriors and damn near did it without Kyrie and Kevin Love. And it was mostly because both Klay Thompson and Steph Curry played well below their capability in large part because they were not confident in that setting in the same way that LeBron James was. And I can go further and further back over time, but LeBron James has absolutely had that mental impact on his opponents. It's different, like you said. It's not the, the the oh, he's just gonna take these ridiculously tough shots and all we can do is just pray that he misses like it is with some of these mm-hmm. great scorers of all time. But what it is, is it's a lack of confidence in the ability to beat him in basketball games. That's the same type of abstract concept, even if you don't associate it with the same visceral reaction of fear that you might have with the high, with the high volume score. And again, like, There is, Carson, an interesting basketball debate to have about LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. They're two completely different archetypes. Their team constructs throughout their career are so different. Like, I think if LeBron James had Anthony Davis from the time that they entered the league, he'd be his Scottie Pippen, and they'd play together for 12 years. But you know what? That's not how it worked. He didn't find a legit co-star until Dwayne Wade, who immediately broke down. And then he found Kyrie, and then he broke down mentally and physically. And then he found Anthony Davis, and he's breaking down physically. Like, like it's been a completely different career arc there's an interesting conversation to have to dive into all those elements but instead it's like oh but what about the fear scale and it just makes everybody dumber and it's completely dishonest and it's a big part of why I don't really enjoy discussing LeBron MJ unless I'm talking with someone like you Carson I'm right there with you I think that the NBA GOAT debate is on the verge of needing to be retired like it's just not fun people don't talk about basketball they talk about stuff like this they talk about you know mj gambling they talk about lebron's tweets it's like it's not a fun basketball conversation anymore but it is a very interesting one i agree with you last thing we're going to touch on today trey young came out and said after the timberwolves game which they narrowly lost quote Ref should be held more accountable and apparently implying like money, suspensions, etc. Just like us, they shouldn't get we missed it passes. What do you think about that, Jason? Well, first of all, if there is one player in the league that I never want to hear spearheading the conversation <laughs> about officiating, it's Trey Young. I, 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 it, look, here's the thing we haven't discussed a lot of Atlanta Hawks this year. In large part because they're terrible, but also because I hate, hate, hate <laughs> watching that team. Even when I do, like, I try to find little things that I like. Like, I love DeJounte Murray's pull-up jump shooting game. It, it just as a basketball player and fan, it, it's something that I, I, I think is super interesting. I love how he changes his release to a higher release point to help him get it off in traffic. And I find DeAndre Hunter to be a fascinating player as your, you know, classic kind of Andrew Wiggins archetype, a rip through simple offensive uh, rim pressuring option who can guard the other team's best player. There are things that I find that I can try to as a basketball fan watch Atlanta, but I don't watch them very much. I probably only watched them like 20 times all season because I find them I, I have a visceral negative reaction to Atlanta because of Trey Young and his foul baiting, and I, and, I can't, and I can't stand it. Here's the thing. 
there is an, there is a conversation to have about officiating, but it's not associated with fairness. So, for instance, after the Suns game, you have Devin Booker and Monty Williams come out and complain about officiating. That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> the Lakers are a team that consistently draws fouls because they've got two players in particular, and Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves, who are gifted at getting players out of position. There's a conversation to have about foul grifting, which we will in a second. But the reality is, is they're an excellent foul-drawing team that does not take pull-up jump shots almost ever. And then the Phoenix Suns, who took 42 pull-up jump shots in that game, compared to just 18 for the Lakers, because that's all they do, which is a big part of why they are 28th in, in free throw attempts per game this season. And you're going to have that loser-ass mentality to act as though officiating is the reason why you lost when you lose the free, free throw battle every single game because of the type of thought, mm -hmm. the shots that you like to take. And I think a lot of times these players focus on officiating as a matter of fairness. And that, to me, like I said, is a loser mentality, and I'm just not interested in having that discussion. The refs call the game consistently bad for both teams in every game that I've ever seen this year. Way too much of these non-basketball plays resulting in free throws, but it is indiscriminate. It is around the entire league. The conversation to have is we there are two there are two things that I can't stand about officiating in the modern NBA. One is the way that it disrupts the television product. Simply put, it's not fun to watch. The flow of the game get constantly disrupted as you see guys constantly making these unorthodox plays and stopping the flow of the game, the up and down nature of basketball, which is part of what makes it great. Like, I don't know if you saw that Golden State Dallas game the other night. It was pretty back and forth, up and down there in that fourth quarter, and it was highly entertaining. That's basketball. And so problem number one is the refs are disrupting the flow of basketball games, and it is bad for the television product. And then problem number two is as a matter of personality, and some of this is just the way that that position draws people that have an authority uh, authority complex, but the reality is, is these guys, they do not understand their role within a basketball game. The, the NBA exists because of the show that the players can put on. You need the owners as a structural element to make it all work. They're the business guys. You need the media because they are what allow they are what market the players to the fans. That's important. And you need officials because they are what keep the game fair and organized, correct? But all three of those owners of media and refs, they need to stay out of the center of focus. The players always have to be the focus because they drive all the revenue. The only reason any of this works or makes any moment or any money is because we enjoy watching Steph Curry play basketball. And the refs so don't understand that concept. And more often than not, they push themselves to the forefront because they view themselves on equal footing to the players. And that is complete crap. And until... And so they have to figure out how to fix the issues with the way that the rules are interpreted to keep the flow of basketball games better. But they also have to find a way to filter out these dudes. And it's not all of them. I would venture to guess that at least half of them are well-meaning and understand their role. But there are way too many celebrity officials in the NBA. And that, to me, is a problem. They care too much about their personal impact and fame on that stage. And it's bad for the game. It's always been that way. There's always been that dynamic, right? Joey Crawford, Dick Bavetta, Scott Foster now. Egos certainly can get in the way. I think that you're absolutely right on a lot of this. Like, I agree that the game should be officiating differently. But I think that the biggest takeaway 
for me here is that people have turned so much, and I think that this has really gotten worse with the legalization of sports betting uh, in more places, and therefore sort of the idea that we can jump to, oh my God, people have money on this, everything is rigged. Just the immediate blaming of uh, officials for any outcome, right? The idea, we saw it in the football season, oh my God, that... Uh, that roughing the passer penalty in the Bengals game, how horrible. And then obviously the Super Bowl was sealed also by a, a call that some people felt was controversial. Like, and there's just a complete willful ignorance in this. Like, in that game, Trey Young took as many free throws, 16, as he did shots. And a vast majority of those are elicited from non basketball plays, flailing, just throwing up shots, hoping he gets that little bit of contact on the hip. He is the inventor, effectively, of, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna get this guy in jail out of the pick and roll. He's on my back, right? He's stuck there. And I'm going to jump back into him, and that is, you know, at times called a foul. They've tried to change rules because of Trey Young's exploitation. So it's just completely unaware. The Suns game, you're absolutely right. They've been outshot by a dozen or more free throws in four of their last six games, and it's because they're dead last in restricted area field goals. And the Warriors just won a title in which they were 26 in free throw attempts because they're a pull-up jump shooting team like the Suns. The notion that you have to win the free throw battle to win the game is completely false. You win basketball games in different ways. The Suns aren't getting screwed. It's not their play style. They're not physical. And by the way, they're the fourth most foul-prone team in the league. And by the way, the Lakers, as you said, are one of the most prolific teams at drawing free throws because they're big, they're physical, and they do have those guys who can get people out of position and elicit those fouls. So it's just... Very frustrating to me. I mean, Trey Young saying something actually makes my blood boil because it's like, buddy, you are the problem. Like, you are the embodiment. <laughs> Luca insinuating that the refs were paid, it's like, Luca's also in that top tier of let me manipulate the refs, let me draw this questionable foul that is called by the books right now but isn't good for basketball, not a basketball play. It's very frustrating, and I think that we need to have a – a real referendum here on, hey, guys, this isn't the 2002 Western Conference Finals, right? Like, this is not, uh, well, that might, you know, that might be illegitimate. It's just bad rules and an honest bad call every once in a while. But you can't threaten that with, you know, sending these guys to the gallows. <laughs> like, that's that's absurd. You don't get punished for messing up, honestly, as a player, beyond the result. Refs are doing their best. It's just, I agree with you. There's bad rules. And Trey Young is an exploiter of those bad rules. The whole thing is just one giant intellectually dishonest debate. Uh, because I'm so I'm so glad you said that. Like you, that's just one part of the game of basketball. I literally talked about this in our last show. The uh, in, after Warriors Mavericks, like there are usually at least a half dozen things that go horribly wrong in a basketball game, and sometimes all six of them go against you. You know, mm -hmm. like there was a, what, what was that Rockets Warriors game that one a, a couple of years ago when KD was still there when he stepped like four feet out of bounds on the baseline and the ref didn't see like <laughs> like that's just that to me is overcoming adversity. It's no different than you guys in your life. Over the course of the next month, you're going to have two or three hand grenades lobbed into your life. Like that's just the reality. Like you're going to be you're going to be crawling going through your day and you're going to get a phone call and it's going to be something really shitty and you're going to have to find a way to like deal with that as you go through the rest of your day. And like this idea that it's going to be this perfectly fair static environment is so silly to me. I, I I saw that Lakers stat going around the other uh, yesterday, where it was like the Lakers have by far the biggest free throw differential in the league this year, and it's like 
basic research. They're the only team in the league that is great at not fouling and drawing fouls. The second best free throw differential team in the league was the Miami Heat, who is 17th in getting to the foul line. It's just it just so happens that that they're one they're that the one te- that they're the one team that does both well. And people will be like, "Oh, but the Lakers are terrible. Why would they suddenly be good at that?" It means nothing to be good at drawing fouls and to and be good to, <laughs> at defending without fouling. You can do those things and also suck. You know how I know? That was the Lakers all year. They were a terrible defensive team, in large part because Anthony Davis was out. They were a terrible defensive team who also didn't foul. That's possible, right? Like, it's just... There's so there's so many moving parts in basketball games, and it just... Again, I go back to that loser mentality thing. Like... No one cares about your specific struggles because they've got their own struggles. Like, and no one cares that you don't have DeAndre Ayton for a big game because their big guy's been out for a long time. Like, everyone's dealing with adversity in this season. And for you to, like, just paint yourself as the victim that the refs are coming after you, that's not the type of mentality that's going to push you over the top in a 2-2 series against the you know against the clippers in the first round if you feel like game 4 was stolen from you by the refs ask the clippers what they'll they'll think they'll be like uh game 5's on wednesday and we're going to try to win like no like no one cares and, and so it's a loser mentality that's why i think it's important to separate that from the issue with officiating but we've already mm-hmm. gone too long today so we're going to we're going to call it a day all right guys that is all we have for today the plan as of right now we are going uh, – I'm going to be recording a video late tonight after all of the games that will be uh, bright and early on Saturday morning. And then we'll have another show on Sunday morning covering Saturday night's games. And then we're going late on Monday night. Uh, I can't remember what specific matchup that is, but we're breaking down a game late on Monday night. So uh, plenty of shows over the course of the rest of this weekend and going through Monday. As always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support. Shout out to Carson for giving us the time, and we will see you tomorrow morning. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.